Welcome, welcome, wonderful listeners. You've just tuned in to HCD's Mindset Podcast, the go-to destination for all things behavioral science, neuromarketing, and consumer research. I'm your host, Michelle Nigella, and I'm thrilled to have you with us today. Before we dive into today's exciting episode, a quick shout out to the HCD team. Thanks to HCD Research, we bring you fantastic content here, but you can also find more like white papers, conference presentations, and other great info on our website, www.hcdi.net. We promise a treat for you with each episode, a conversation that's going to spark your curiosity and leave you with a wealth of insights. But before we spill the beans, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Whether you're commuting, working out, or just chilling at home, sit back, relax, and let's embark on another journey of knowledge and discovery right here on HCD's Mindset Series. Hi, everybody, and welcome back uh, to another episode of Mindset and the beginning to a new year. Um, So here we are. We're actually going to kick things off with the CEO of and president of HCD Research, my boss, Glenn Kessler. So Glenn, uh, welcome back to the podcast. You were on with us many moons ago, roughly probably 80 something episodes ago, because we've done quite a few now. So welcome back. Thank you. I was a little bit younger then, but I'm still a young man. (laughs) Yes, and I'm perfectly young too. Um, (laughs) It, it's been a while. A lot has happened, and actually, a lot of crazy things have happened. We kind of started, you know, this this whole you know podcasting thing up, you know, at the beginning of the um, pandemic, and since then, a, a lot has sort of happened to our industry. Yeah. Yes, uh, it's been a wild, I'd say, four years. Uh, unprecedented. I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> I got to say, like the word "unprecedented," though. I feel like has been unprecedentedly overused, Um, you know, so like anytime you turn on the news or like literally anytime you read news, it feels like, oh, this is unprecedented. So it's like just a continuation of just crazy things happening the past like four to five years, Um, maybe even slightly more. But I feel like just entirely just the world has flipped over on its head multiple times now at this point. Yes. Um, And uh, some of the experiences that I, we have had have been a little bit paradoxical, but I can uh, talk about that in a bit. Yeah. But, why, don't you, uh, why don't we start off with that? So um, I guess the first thing to say is that something my dad used to always say, which is, you know, I'd ask, Hey, how are you doing? And his answer was always, well, I'm still here. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, you know, okay. So like, all right, Glenn, how are we doing? <laughs> well, first of all, I will never forget March 15th, 2020, which uh, I was on vacation and had to make a uh, rapid return. Uh, the next day was my birthday, and uh, I returned to a crowded airport and COVID. A COVID fi- officially impacted us in uh, March 16th, 2020. And my thoughts at the time were not a big deal. We'll be fine. The industry will be fine. And 
it is still fine, but one heck of a change. Um, and so coming back on that day in 2020, uh, it started a roller coaster that was unforgettable. But how are we doing? I think I sense that uh, there is a recovery, but there are significant changes. So the return of market research uh, as normal or as it has been in the past won't happen uh, because of changes. But the impact on both the companies that uh, hire us and the vendors, I think may be returning. Mm. So, you know, HCD has been like in, in business now for uh, like 30 years, yes, 30 some odd years. And, you know, so we've seen a lot of things happen, right? We've seen um, all sorts of new technologies come and go. We've seen competitors come and go. Um, how do you feel that the landscape of market research has evolved over these years? So one observation is, uh, I think that the pandemic forced technology on market researchers uh, in that um, we've had video interviewing for some years. We've had uh, focus groups mm. uh, online, but the COVID episode brought them to mainstream and have kept them there. So we see a, a significant difference from that. But um, I'd say that more of a difference uh, on the use of technology in market research than I've seen in the other crises of uh, the last 30 years. Uh, one important one was find like a driving force of the changes that we've seen to be sort of the advent of new technologies, you know, whether it is, you know, video based everything, right. Um, or, you know, AI now where everything is a solutions to everything is AI. Um, so do you think a driving force is, is technology? Because, you know, we've been always like an early adopter of technologies. So right. is, is that something you've sort of seen? Well, I have to think back at the mid 90s when online research started. And this is a long time ago, but we've been doing this a long time. Mm -hmm. And at the time, the only reason people would use online research is if it's Thursday and a meeting is called for Tuesday and you don't have information to support an opinion, uh, you did rapid research and hold your breath that no one challenged it <laughs> because of internet bias. Mm. And then uh, as things, uh, as the years went by in the early 2000s, uh, it became standard. And a lot of that was due to the larger players adapting it for cost savings and competitive reasons. Uh, now, I would say that uh, um, the technology adapted to the environment of COVID. Mm. And... I believe it's here to stay because the perceived cost of moving from uh, the old way to the online electronic way is low. People perceive they're accomplishing the same things. So in that, um, how do you think the traditional market research industry and the methods have had to shift? So, you know, you have this rise of, of digital technologies 
what are some of you think the the sort of biggest shifts that everybody has really had to make? I would say that uh, one of the shifts um, that had to be made was on the vendor side in that uh, revenues decrease as you remove or move towards online. So online has been available for a very long time, but not for uh, uh, things that are done on site. Mm. And so um, I think that's cost efficiencies are a great benefit. Also, obviously for the client, uh, it's possible to get rapid results faster than before. Yet there are some applications of market research that are not done well online. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, uh, um, uh, and a good part to uh, when you joined our company, we got involved in uh, product testing, product concept testing. And much of that has to be done uh, with a consumer um, available to use a product, which could be central location or it could be IHUTs in home testing. Well, so when you look at that um, and you talk to sensory people, a lot of times they will say, you know, that they feel very secure in in their company or in their job because you still have to have the person, say, taste a product, right? Right. Um, Do you agree with that, that there is a certain amount of stability because people are going to, it's always going to be humans, right? So here we are with... AI coming in and taking over a lot of what traditional market research used to be, and everybody's kind of threatened and concerned. There's synthetic data, et cetera. Um, but I think you know, the argument in sensory is that, oh, no, but humans still have to taste. Um, how do you feel about that sort of like clinging on? Well, uh, first, after I respond, I'm going to ask you to answer that question okay. because you probably know better than I do. But number one, I am relieved that I have that perception also because um, being uh, what we do, which employs uh, some techniques that are best done um, in person, uh, it I think it will be it, uh, take a longer time to migrate from the what is traditional methods of testing products and sensory testing to some other. But about five years ago, I read an article about a, an Apple product that had the potential to merge 3,000 uh, aromas, mm. fragrances. It could be then sent anywhere in the world, obviously. And the receiver would have a processor. And of course, it would be sent to this processor. And I've never seen it. But I've been waiting to hear about that again, because that could be a change. The uh, making people in other countries, cultures available for Mm -hmm. research that could be done. You could be, you know, having a conversation with your relative on the other side of the world. And you could say, oh, this tea reminds me of home. You should, you should smell it. And then you can send that smell is, is the. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's really funny. I think if you think about it from like, you know, a 10,000 foot view, uh, so I think like when you look at it in the the micro, it's kind of like, well, why would you even want to do that? 
right? Um, and it's like, it just seems like a frivolous piece of technology. It's like, why do I need to send a smell? It's perfectly fine to send an email. It's perfectly fine to just call my friend up. But I wonder in thinking about that, because that was the first road I went down. Like, why would anybody pay the amount of money it would cost to get these devices that I have to get and you have to get? But potentially that's what people said about the telephone. Potentially that's what people said about telegrams. Potentially that's what people said about email, right? And cars, you know, why do I need a car when I can just ride my horse or walk, right? Um, so I don't want to say no to something like that because maybe I just don't understand, you know, why that could be important. Um, although I do kind of understand because, you know, smell, taste, sensory is so important to the context of our lives, right? That it is meaningful information to share, right? right. Um, it's definitely part of communication. It's part of memory. So I, I do kind of see the need for it, but I also, I personally wouldn't want to spend a lot of money, right? To like send a smell, right. but it's something that could be adopted into our lives so that we can better experience the world, Right. So I could, I could see some of that. As far as technology goes, I think that, um, you know, e-noses and electronic tongues have kind of been around in academic research for, for quite some time now. Um, and it's always been very challenging to find a way to make it accurate uh, or rather perceptual in the way that a human is, right? Mm -hmm. So you can look at all the receptors on the tongue and you can create maybe a, a you know, a, a, a dish that has all the different wells that would represent all the sites on the tongue, right? And you could have things react, right? The, the problem, I think, is the perceptual part, where the human brain is able to put the information together and come up with something that has memory and emotion and all these different components to the ex of experiencing a smell right mm -hmm. so but are we getting there where we have ai that can sort of like read all these experiences that we've had and develop a response i don't see why not in some cases right i mean maybe as as, as we're speaking i thought of a um and as you know i'm not a uh uh, a modeler or a methodologist at all, but I, I was thinking about conducting research in, let's say, the Far East, and uh, having, in the example I gave of the apple uh, um, aroma uh, sensory system, uh, exposing people uh, to the features, the looks, and possibly the um, texture of a product that's sent and then uh, and that becomes the constant and the variable becomes different sensory experiences right. and one of them for some it could be important to uh, have a fragrance as a variable um, as people either look at or experience through VR or some other method um, the uh, um, the sensory experience that related to the fragrance or aroma. And that could be actually, uh, because I'm sure the cost of doing that, the one-time cost may be significant, but it's a, a reason possibly for central location. 
um, decreases the costs of travel. Obviously, it decreases the uh, time and so on. So that could be something people adapt to. They, our market adapted to COVID mm. overnight. Right. And so it was just immediate. Yeah. Um, and I know because we had many, we not many, but we had canceled projects yeah. where we were doing central location and we had to figure out another way of doing it. And we did. Now with new technologies and, and new approaches being adopted, new problems also end up being created, right? So um, I think it was last mm. year, early last year where, um, you know, as more companies have started to do what we do, which is using neuroscience and physiology and, and all these sort of approaches that are really recording more than just what people are explicitly saying, mm -hmm. right? That this idea of data privacy and security really became more important. Um, I think a lot more, you know, government agencies started to kind of look into it. I mean, you, you also have with the internet and people sort of behaviorally just always clicking yes, um, you know, GDPR kind of becomes a thing in, in Europe and, and California and the US um, tends to have more strict rules than the rest of the US on data privacy for participants in market research studies. Um, how do we address these concerns, you think? Like, what, what is your experience as, you know, these changes are, you know, the government agencies are constantly trying to adapt to protect consumers and, and participants? Well, while we are a um, relatively small business, um, we're fortunate to have uh, legal representation on staff. So we have an attorney who follows that and does not allow us to do things that are inappropriate or against the uh, uh, letter of the law, uh, even though sometimes I think this is crazy. But <laughs> we definitely, definitely uh, take that. We don't do the wrong thing. So does it now? I've got to say some of the laws and regulations uh, don't apply very well to market research. Mm -hmm. But market research has to comply with the laws. Yeah. And so my perception is that probably 60, 70% of the things that we need to do to comply with GDRP uh, are independent of the intent of the laws and regulations. But we do it. And yeah. uh, it's an advantage because it's the, the the liability falls on our clients because they're big and that's who we're protecting. Um, there's, there's less value in going after a market research vendor, yeah. but there, uh, it can be very impactful for a large fortune 500 international company. Yeah. I think <clears throat> not only from, you know, uh, our legal representation, Rich, his standpoint is that, you know, he's, very involved in the organizations that are making these rules. And so he is very much keeping up to date and constantly sending us, you know, new topics that everybody's talking about when it comes to privacy and security. And then of course we have our head of IT and our, you know, um, our development people who are very heavily involved in tracking those changes too, about, you know, what should we be concerned about from an IT standpoint, as far as privacy and security 
And then, um, you know, for myself being very involved in ASTM, um, especially in the sensory group, um, really being part of the people that are decision makers on some of the guidelines people need to follow. And so I think kind of being involved certainly helps us stay, you know, up to date and adapting to these new rules and new trends. Um, but speaking of trends, right, you've seen a lot of different trends happen, you know, whether it was in the 90s with more people adopting internet, um, you know, in the early 2000s, when people started using, uh, you know, neuroscience and, and behavioral tools. Um, and now with the emergence of a lot of AI usage, synthetic data, um, a lot of digitalization. Um, do you see any emerging trends? I mean, people are just coming out of CES that just happened in Las Vegas and there's all these like new technologies. Do you see anything that particularly has like grabbed your attention? Well, uh, you brought to my attention the synthetic data. And I think that there are efficiencies that will become standard as long as there are tests to confirm that synthetic data is consistent with a control uh, that's run before um, bringing in integrating synthetic data. That's one of the concerns. But I'm interested in that, again, because it, there are efficiencies. But then a problem, again, a problem with that is um, as we see the environmental having, when there are significant changes like the Great Recession or COVID, uh, the value of synthetic data may not be advisable to use because it represents a time for which people didn't have attention on an environmental problem, a major one that happens. But that's something that's interesting to me. In terms of AI, I just, first of all, uh, I the one thing about AI is that uh, if you're a company, you have to have that in your name somewhere, or you will have to have it in your name somewhere because it will completely uh, suggest that you are not part of the 2020s. So uh, um, just reminds me, years ago, uh, companies were putting on, when uh, online started, uh, companies would add online, literally, to oh, their official yeah. name yeah. Uh, or interactive to their name. I feel and like I that, see that now. That's like an indicator that you shouldn't go with that company. Yes, <laughs> it is. Because what it suggests is if you take it literally, that's all they know. Right. And so in, <clears throat> in our case, we try to position ourselves as, uh, I think the phrase you use is methodology agnostic, in that we'll use the methodologies that the, that's appropriate to solve the problem. And that is not always interactive online. It's not always neuroscience, which is another one. Uh, that I would rate that at uh, online tagline is number one, interactive number two, uh, I'd say AI number three, mm -hmm. science four. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that have sort of pervaded companies. <laughs> Most of those companies don't last. Right, right. But it's like a fad. Mm -hmm. So I feel like 
you know, if you decide to, you know, put neuro in front of your name like that, you ought to automatically get right. marked as a fad. And I think it's really funny, the people that are, you know, definitely like obsessed with the whole generative AI thing. It's great, you know, definitely technology wise to, to think about how we can utilize more technology and, um, you know, always stay, you know, up to date. But I think people forget that that has been maybe a year, not even, right? And so when you're looking for someone who's an expert in the field, um, you know, I, I've seen jokes and there's been memes about people uh, applying for jobs. And um, I think there was a someone who is the person who actually created the technique and couldn't get a job for it because it said you needed three years of experience and something that's only <laughs> been around for like maybe a year. Um, yeah. so that, that's very funny, you know, um, you know, along with the whole, like, oh, let's rename our whole company to be this new fad, um, that we, we do have to be aware that some of these things are still very fresh, which means not only do, uh, is there not truly an expert in it, right. but we haven't had a lot of time to vet things out or to think about how it can be truly insightful or actionable in a meaningful way. Right now it's just fad and excitement and maybe some efficiencies, but um, I think there's still time for development to see where it's going to go. Well, uh, not to want to sound like a mom and apple pie statement, but um, <laughs> when when clients come to a vendor providing market research services, they, with exception, um, are looking for an answer that represents reality. Mm-hmm. rather than an answer that uses a single technology that's cool. Right. And I know that uh, we have had opportunities where people say, I want to try this neuroscience thing, or I want to try this EEG thing. Mm-hmm. And we are uh, pleased uh, to engage, but always because we're not in those businesses, we use those tools, but we're not an EEG company or neuroscience or AI. We um, will inform them that it may not be optimal, that there may be ways of integrating multiple methodologies or other methodologies to solve the problem. But the rule is, are you solving the objective or are you meeting the objective? And it isn't done by, not all objectives are done by a single um, technology. Yeah. And, uh, and and so we look at it as a competitive advantage because we're in the solution business. We're not in the neuroscience business, the AI business, the online business, so on. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's really accurate. Um, and, you know, if we don't have a methodology or if we don't have expertise in something, um, you know, collaboration and partnerships can certainly be key in this sort of industry and also to stay um, sort of nimble, right? Um, can you think and maybe share any sort of successful collaborations we've had um, that you think contribute to success? Yeah, uh, a couple of things. Um, the uh, application of conjoint analysis was sometime in the 90s is when it became uh, uh, prevalent. And we worked with a professor um, from Rutgers 
a market research professor who brought the uh, capability to us. And at the time, uh, there weren't many experts uh, in the 90s, many experts in doing conjoint, but he was one of them. And so he allowed us to identify tools that would allow us to do it internally. Um, that was an important one. Another one, and again, another academic one was uh, in the in 2008, uh, we became acquainted with the uh, media laboratory from the journalism school of University of Missouri. And those of you who track journalism schools, that's in the top three with uh, Columbia, Northwestern, and Missouri. They're they're the leaders. That Missouri uh, was a leader in doing using biometrics to measure the psychophysiology of exposure to media. And we were fortunate to become acquainted with them. And they brought that technology to us, which allowed us to integrate it with traditional research, as well as using these tools. Um, proudly, uh, we, uh, the, we became acquainted with them through media, mm -hmm. because uh, we were very involved in measuring the impact of political advertising in 2008. And um, in doing so, the media department at Missouri was listening to the results of studies we did. They contacted us and said, can we have your quantitative data that you've been generating through online research? Mm -hmm. And uh, I asked them why. And they said, well, we have a methodology. We want to see how it compares. And I said, what is it? And they said, biometrics. And mm -hmm. I said, what's that? <laughs> and they said, well, come on out here and we'll show you it. We'll show you the lab. And I the went, rest is history. I went to Columbia, Missouri, and I was like, can you make a business <laughs> out of this? Well, you know, it's, and that, and so began neuromarketing, right? And which became, yep. you know, systems research, which became behavioral science as it is now. Um, and I do think that it is, um, it's really interesting that of the collaborations you mentioned, they're all academic. Um, and I think there is something really valuable to that. Of course, there's collaborations that we've had with other research agencies, collaborations with end clients to create something new. Um, but there's something very exciting about working with academics and experts um, in the different fields, uh, but also with students. And so I do want to, you know, talk a little bit about, um, you know, as we come to the end of this conversation um, about what's next for HCD. And I know we've sort of changed what we've been doing where we've been a research provider now we're also playing the role of consultant. Um, and so partnering with people we already knew and we already worked with in academia, as well as you know, other types of expert consultants to sort of you know, build off of that, not only our relationships, but to have experts that can help our clients. Um, so we do have collaborations we're working on with uh, Carnegie Mellon um, you know, we have collaborations with people at um, University of Pennsylvania, um, at Rutgers, um, you know, at uh, we're, Lehigh. Lehigh. Um, so we're, we've had these this great resource of people 
uh, as, as we're sort of taking us into these next fields that I think um, are going to be very valuable and, and a, maybe even a better way of working. I think as all these new technologies and new approaches become more prevalent and clients start asking about them, right? I mean, it's very funny when we're talking about AI because we've even had a client that called us up one day and said, do you do AI? Yeah. And it's very funny to me because, you know, what does that even mean? Because, right. you know, easily, yes, of course we use AI because it's in all sorts of things that we do, right? But it's like, right. what do you mean by AI? Um, but, you know, the, the, you know, bringing in external experts help us to, helps us to stay more up to date and to provide help and information to our clients. And so I just kind of want to introduce that idea that we're kind of like this new thing of being research plus, right? How would you define research plus? Uh, I, I think I define it as using research to support advice uh, that's needed by marketers, um, as opposed to <clears throat> simply providing research. Yeah. So um, in our case, we've identified areas of um, expertise. And we, rather than being solely a research company waiting for one of four uh, RFPs coming through and then bidding on them, uh, we want to use that information in order to uh, advise clients uh, regarding problems or opportunities, as opposed to blindly doing the research, sending it to them, and working on the next project. Yeah, I think that um, it's become, you know, the, the way our relationships have changed over the years with our clients has been where before we just kind of do this research and we hand it over the report, and that's it, we walk away from it. I think more and more it's a collaborative effort with the client where we're coming in to educate them on what we know um, to help them be a better client in some cases, right? Whether it's to us or to someone else, but together it helps us both to make better research. And then on the back end, we can actually help further. So it's not just dumping off this report, right? And running away. We can work with the client to actually make that finding more actionable, um, you know, help them take things to the next stage. Uh, so I think that for me, Research Plus is about, you know, providing more than just, you know, this, this very direct approach and running away. It's about more of a collaborative effort and um, right. working together. Um, so that kind of brings us to, you know, here we are, it's 2024. And um, we're moving forward with this sort of new approach to our company of being Research Plus. Um, a lot of things have been going on the past few years that have sort of shaped and changed who we are. And so I have 10 words that I want to give to you, Glenn. Okay. And we're going to play a game of uh, free association, which is, of course, a dangerous game to play with you because um, you are, as you say, very impetuous and you have lots of random thoughts and lots of things to say. Um, so and ADD. <laughs> we have no idea what's going to come out of you as we say these words. <laughs> but we're going to play it anyway. Are you ready? Let's do it. I'm ready. Right. So we're going to start off with a word. You say the first thing that comes to your mind. Don't worry about whether it's right or wrong. 
We also have editing in the background. So if something particularly negative comes <laughs> out, we will leave it out. I'm afraid of myself. You, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. Good. I can't. You'll be just I fine. can't stop it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. First things that come to your mind, rapid fire. Number one, segmentation. Uh, opportunity. Branding. Cons consumer perception. Analytics. Essential. Targeting. Focus. Consumer behavior. Unpredictable. <laughs> Market research. Challenging. Psychographics. Really interesting. Demographics. Not so interesting. <laughs> Positioning. Essential. Customer satisfaction, the last one. Repurchasing. Nice. Well, thank you so much, Glenn. This has been really fun. We really should get you on here more often for updates. Um, so maybe that's something we can do starting this year as we kick things back off with the podcast. Um, so first, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, this was fun. Thanks. Thanks, Michelle. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, I hope you have a great day and join us next time. Thank you.